Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Ezra chapter 7, John chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we begin a new series on life, learning the word, investing into relationships, following the way of Christ, engaging our world. We're actually going to have a five-week study as we will take a week, a commercial break, to be able to discuss giving glory to God. That is the vision the Lord gave me several years ago for the church glorifying God together through life. Glorifying God together. We all know that we're to glorify God. It's the glorifying God together that sometimes gets us because she hurt me. Amen? Don't say amen to that. (laughs) Ezra 7, John 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I'm so thankful for Thursday nights. A group in L.A. has gathered to say, you are important to us. Your word guides us, your word directs us. And there's a passion to be hungry and thirsty for the word. There's a group online that says, I'm not able to be there, but I'm hungry. And I want to thank you in this day, in this generation, that there's a remnant. And Lord, as we dig deep into your word, would you give us insight? Because we want to be like you. We know there is no closet Christian. For in this day, Even if we were before, you can't help but tell the difference between light and darkness, good and evil, selfish versus selfless. And I pray that as we learn more and more about you, would you minister to us to be like you? Empower us by your Spirit. Jesus' name. Amen. While it would take probably my entire lifetime of ministry to express what it means to glorify God together, our purpose over the next several weeks is to highlight what I believe are some of the major ways that we can glorify God together here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Glorifying God together through life. And we're going to take the letter L tonight, learning the word. Learning the word as a manner in which we glorify God. And so I have a question for us. Why are you here? Why do you come on Sundays? It can't be my good looks. It might be my wife singing. It might be your friends. 
But there's a spiritual question that I'm asking. Why are you here to learn the Word? Is it possible that you took seriously when Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I want you to hunger and thirst for me. I believe that to be true. But I want to answer this question, why do we want to learn the Word with a psalm? You'll see it on the screen. I want you to listen to this psalm with your heart. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's the word that teaches me I can be saved. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's why the word of God invites simple people like me to gain wisdom. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, because when you go God's way, your heart does rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, and I should read it the way the psalmist wrote. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, he says. Than much. Some of you just woke up, but that's his hope in the psalm. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. When I was young, my dad would reward me with a candy bar called Crunchy. He would travel when we moved over to the state, to the Bahamas, once a a month. And as growing up, I I loved this candy bar. And he would reward me with crunchy. Now, if you have not experienced crunchy, you have missed out in life. It's a Cadbury. It's a British chocolate. And it is wonderful. It is honeycomb wrapped in chocolate. Sorry if you've not had dinner yet. My mouth is watering even thinking about it. I'm having so many wonderful, fond memories of fighting over this particular chocolate with anyone that came near. I so love, and some of you are like, okay, enough with the chocolate. Let me walk down my own wonderful memory lane. Because what he's saying here, it's sweeter also than honey. The word brings good memories. It brings great emotions. There's something about the word of God that when we think about it, it should inspire us like my good behavior just so I could get a crunchy bar when my dad returned home. Why do I want to learn the word? I want you to notice something in my question. I did not use the word, why do I have to learn the word? I used the question, why do I want to learn the word? Because learning the word is not a a book assignment. Have you had your devotions today? Sounds like a teacher. It's not a book assignment given by a teacher that you have to read the word in order to pass as a Christian. Because if that is your complex that has been put on you over your decades of history, you're missing the point. No, this isn't a book assignment. This is a text message from your best friend. You can't wait to read it when it pops up on your phone. This is definitely not a book assignment. It's the powerful, eternal, directional, practical text message from God. And every message he sends 
reveals a little bit more how we can glorify God together. Learning the Word was the desire of the first church. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They actually devoted, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the Word of God. They devoted themselves, the NIV says. They continued steadfastly. They hungered for the Word of God. But it's been the desire of every faithful saint. Going all the way back with me to Ezra chapter 7. Would you turn there with me? Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. We know Ezra, that mighty man of God that returned. We discussed him when we were talking Zechariah. He returned in the third wave back from Babylon there to Israel. And he brought powerful religious revival and reform to Judaism. And there in Ezra chapter 7, look at the kind of man that God used. Verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, or to dig into the Word of God, and to do the Word of God, and to teach statutes, or to teach the Word of God, and the ordinances of the Word of God in Israel. Look at this guy. The Bible says that he prepared his heart. In other words, he studied the Word. He wanted to know everything there was to know about God. Let me tell you what the Word does. The Word reveals to us who God is. Jesus used this argument. When the Pharisees attacked him, when the Pharisees were coming against him in John chapter 5, he explained something so powerful. Take a look at the screen. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures, speaking to the Pharisees. You search them. You have your devotions every day. You're in the Word of God all the time. Listen, Christian. For in them you think you have eternal life. You think by reading your Bible, you've got a checklist that you're good with God. No, no, no. Are you having a conversation? He says, and these are they which testify of me. You see, we've got to be careful that we're not just going through our one-year Bible to get through our five chapters so we can say we're on the timeline. When we get into the Word of God, it's living because it's the Word of God. And He's speaking to us each and every day. This is not a book assignment. This is the practical, directional, powerful Word of God. And so thus, we're learning the Word to know everything about Jesus because He's God. And for this reason, Paul would say, study it diligently. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Once again, you'll see it on the, word, on the screen. Be diligent. Now, what does diligent mean? It means you put everything you've got into it. You're like the widow who gave the might. You give it all that you've got, not holding anything back. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are many pastors that will get behind a pulpit and not spend a moment of time in study. They will just let the Spirit speak through them. That's not what Paul says. The pastor, the lay person, should be digging in the Word of God. My mom always says, study to show yourself approved, and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. There's an opportunity for us to dig in the Word and study the Word of God. 
to protect us from piety. Because there's something that happens when we become students of the Word of God. Today I studied the soteriological effects of the eschatological event that might happen at the end. I mean, what? I'm, I'm not speaking in tongues. But it's amazing to me when students come out of, uh, of, of seminary and they preach a sermon of everything that they know. Now, I'm not knocking seminary. I am a little. Just a little. I've been through it. So I'm knocking it a little, okay? But the idea and the understanding is when that pastor gets up and uses all the big words and everyone walks away crying because they have no idea what the person said. You see, Ezra followed a principle to protect him from the piety of knowledge. This is why when Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave them such a powerful word of God, he said to them, don't judge others. Don't walk away with this powerful truth and then start judging everybody else because they don't know the truth. Your job is to preach the truth with love and compassion. This is exactly what Ezra's doing. He didn't want to become pious with his knowledge. So the Bible says he did the word. He didn't just tell people what to do. He put the Word of God into practice. He wasn't just learning about the Word. He was doing the Word, becoming like the God that he was learning about. He wasn't watching film or studying the plays just to know what the plays were. He was learning them to put them into practice so that when he went onto the field of life, he could be a champion. See, as believers... Each of us have a game to win. We are all called to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Started a premarital last night with a precious couple. And they sat in my living room and I said, I need to break something to you. I could care less that you have a happy marriage. And they kind of looked at me like, okay, where's he going with this one? I said, I don't care that you have a happiness comes and goes. I said, some mornings I wake up and I look at Andre and I go, we're married. <laughs> and she said, and you better believe, some mornings I look up and say, we're married. <laughs> happiness comes and goes. What I c- called them to was, I'm here to speak to you about a holy marriage and how God is going to use your marriage for his goal in your life to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Happiness will come as a part of the Christian faith. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Happiness is a part of our faith, but it's not the goal of our faith. Holiness is a part of, is the goal of our faith to become more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Let me tell you what this means. This means we are learning the word to put it into practice as we become like him. I'm not just here Thursday nights so that I can say I got it. I'm here Thursday nights to say I got him. I got him. But Ezra didn't leave us there. He taught the word. He studied it. He practiced it. He taught us. This sets a great example for all of us. You see, first, he... It was the life that he led. He expressed God to others first by the life that he led, but secondly by the words that he spoke. 
You see, I asked a question, why do we study the Word of God? Here's the answer. We're learning the Word to know Jesus, to become like Him, so that we can express Him to others. Do you remember my prayer at the beginning? No longer are you going to work, and people are wondering who's the Christian. If you don't have a foul mouth, they know something's different about you in today's world. If you're not cheating and lying and stealing, they know something's different about you. If you're going the second mile, where did you learn all that from? Did it just come upon you one day where you just said, today I feel like going the second mile. I know you forced me to go one mile, but I can't wait to go the second mile for you. For you. No, that came from the Word. This is why John began his book with, in the beginning was, say it with me, the Word. Turn there with me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, we're going to spend the rest of our time here dissecting a few of these first few verses. John chapter 1, we have answered, asked the question, why do I want to learn the Word? John is going to help us explain this. He says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Let me explain. The first century Jews described God in these terms. They described God as the Word. And the reason they described God as the Word is because at creation, He spoke the world into existence. So they referred to God as the Word. And what John is doing is taking the Jewish understanding of referring to God as the Word, and he is calling Jesus the Word. He is referring to Jesus as God. And here's what he's doing. He is setting the stage for the reader of his gospel to recognize the importance to learn about Jesus Christ to become like him in order to express him. John's responsibility was to make disciples. That was the command of God, and John took it seriously. He wrote it down so that we would know about Jesus and be able to express him. And what John does is, to prove this point, he gives us four things about Jesus, the Word, so that we'll be compelled to learn the word. Let's take a look at those four things. John chapter 1, verse 3. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John tells us Jesus is the creator. Now you know that to be true. But remember, John is setting us up to learn something about Jesus in the word. And I want you to write this down. Because he is the creator, his word provides the power for us to change. His word provides for us the power to change. Words have power. Words have a lot of power. You've heard the saying before, the pen is mightier than the sword. Words have a lot of power. Look at cyberbullying on social media. 
Take a look at how a word, that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's a devil's lie. Because our spirit can be torn apart by something that someone says. My dad, my dad had the power of word. When my sister and I would begin to argue in front of him as he was watching his favorite TV show, my dad would say, quiet. I can't even now, and I, I, my voice sounds nothing like him, but I can hear him communicating it. Shivers go up and down my spine. It caused my sister and I to come, come to a place of complete silence. It was like a movement of God when my dad spoke. And when he spoke, the room changed. It was the power of the word. And when Jesus spoke, things changed. The earth went from without form to with land, with water, with sun, with moon, with stars, with fish, with birds, with animals, with man, with woman. To emphasize this point, take a look at the scene. This is what the writer of Hebrews would say concerning the word. It's Hebrews chapter 1. Take a look, if you would, at verse 1, 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now remember, the Hebrews is writing to the Jews. It's a New Testament epistle epistle to the Jewish part of the church. Whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the, pow- by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Someone say, Amen. Amen. Jesus, he spoke the world into existence. And his voice is still the voice of many rushing waters, powerfully changing us today. Do you remember Matthew chapter 8? You don't need to turn there. He spoke to a storm, and he brought peace to chaos. Do you remember Mark chapter 4? He spoke to a girl that was dead. And out of death, his word brought life. His word has the power to change us so that we can become like him, even us. And let me tell you what his word will speak to us. In the midst of our storm, he will speak peace and we'll be able to live peace. In the midst of a death-like experience, he will speak life into it. And you will experience life. His word is so powerful to change us that we can actually become like him because of his word. That's why he prayed. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He knew this prayer was true. We can change Because of the power of his word. And I want you to think of that nasty little habit that you have. If you've not thought of one, lean over to your spouse. 
I want you to think of that thing that you think that you, you, you just never could change. It's just been who you are. No, 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 no. It's not who God made you. It's what the world has shaped and formed in you. But God has given you through the power of his word the opportunity to take that thing and move from darkness into light. To take those ashes and make them beauty. It's just what God does. He speaks into things and he brings peace in the midst of chaos. His word changes things. Listen, when the disciples came back, They heard the word of God. He said to go and to minister, cast out demons, preach the word. When they came back in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Luke 10, 17, take a look at the screen. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, it works. Your word works. This is what they say. The demons are subject to us in your name. We went into demon-infested territory. We spoke the word, and they listened to us. How many of us are surprised when the word works? And we start putting the word of God into our marriage, and all of a sudden, you love your husband. All of a sudden, you love your wife. How many of you are surprised when you start loving your enemy that... No longer are you bitter, you're forgiving. And now you're blessing them. You're praying for them. You are asking God to just overwhelm them with goodness. How many of you have been surprised that when you actually put the Word of God into action, it works? Because the truth of the matter is, you too will be like the disciples and have so much joy when you speak the word of God. You will change you. You will change your world. You will change the people around you. That's why I always say, if you see I'm not doing well, don't give me your opinion or, tell, or put pat your uh, hand on my back. Give me a verse. Give me scripture. Revive my spirit with the word of God. Amen? Amen. Take a look at verse 4. John tells us something else about the word. In him was life. So important. And the life was the light of men. He tells us that Jesus is life. Let me tell you something. His word provides hope for eternal life. His word does. He's the giver of life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an Old Testament example of a New Testament principle. Nebuchadnezzar, he made this golden statue. He had a dream. Daniel interpreted the dream, and he told him that the head was a head of gold. But then as the idol went down, there was a silver idol. And what Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, what Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar is one day your kingdom, your dynasty is going to come down. But Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to tell Daniel, there is no way my dynasty is coming down. Look at Babylon. So the very next chapter, he uh, molds a golden statue to let Daniel know your vision will never come to pass. My dynasty will last forever. Everybody, bow down to my dynasty. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No. Tell them to bow down. No. Tell them to bow down. No, 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 no. Well then, 
Heat the furnace up. Still no. No, 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 Nebi. We're not bowing down. We will never bow down because Daniel's right, because your dynasty is going to come down because our God is right, and his word we will trust over your dynasty. So no. (laughs) No. All right? Throw them in. Uh, Didn't we throw three in there? Who's that fourth that looks like the Son of God? You mean they were standing in the Word and the Word showed up? Could you guys come out? Now, if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Bego, I would have come out like this. I told you no. No. No, no, no. And smell my clothes. We don't even smell like smoke. (laughs) You go, Jesus. Hey. No, let me tell you something. How were they able to stand? What were you? An entire nation is bowing down before you. How were you able to stand three guys in front of an entire nation that's doing the full on to this golden idol? And you look at Nebi and go, no. I'll tell you why. Because God gave them a promise. They got it from the word. It's Isaiah chapter 43. You'll see it on the screen. But now thus says the Lord who created you, written a hundred years before the event. And he who formed you, Israel, fear not. Don't you be afraid of Nebi. I've redeemed you. I called you by your name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, like the Tigris and Euphrates, I'll be with you. Through those rivers... They shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the word to stand on. They trusted God that when they went in the fire, they would not be burned. It sounds preposterous. How could this be true? Read Daniel chapter 3. Read it for yourself. You'll see how true it is. They believed God. Because Isaiah also told them, not one word of my word will will be void. Everything, according to Isaiah 55, everything will come to pass. Everything that I have spoke, God's word will not return void. We have the same hope as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though we go through a fire, we will not be burned. And do you know that Jesus has saved us from hell's fire? Do you realize what he told Mary and Martha there in John chapter 11? I am the resurrection and the life. Three times he told, spoke the word to his disciples, I'm going to raise from the dead. He gave them the word. And they said, oh, not you. You're our job security. What are you talking about? Go to a cross. God bless you. (laughs) So sweet. They didn't believe him. But it was true. And when he says that you can be saved, the man who not only lived a life of perfection, 
but rose from the grave simply because he said it, it's true. You see, the Bible calls the gospel the everlasting gospel. That means it's believed in all of heaven for an eternity. And there are three words that will remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I'm going to tell you why. Because one day, faith will be realized. We'll be looking at Jesus face to face. No longer will we have to be walking by faith. We'll see him. One day, hope will be realized. We'll be in heaven. But love is the greatest because it will stretch on through an eternity. This hope we have in his word. It's a sure foundation. It's an anchor of the soul so that when you make a mistake, even as a believer, and the enemy comes in and goes, I told you you're not saved, you can speak with truth. I have no need to doubt because my Jesus has saved me. My Jesus has given me his word. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And I can be like King David and go back to God and confess my sin. And though a righteous man falls down seven times, he can get back up again. That's the truth of God's word. It's why the hymn writer said, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground. All other ground. So when the devil comes and tries to lie to you, you speak the power of the word to him and say, you are on sinking sand. Amen? John tells us something else. He says in verse 4, not only is he life, speaking of eternal life, he is the light of men. You see, his word provides the, provides the direction to reach our destination. That's why we study it. His word provides the direction to reach our destination. Our destination is holiness. Our destination is to be like Christ. Gang, this is such practical language from John. In darkness, light shows us the way. That's why the psalmist would write, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. His word shows us the way like a recipe shows us how to make a dish or a road sign tells us how to get to our destination. Now i got to need to let you know something. How many of you have put your destination into Google... And it started freaking out on you. Like, first it tells you to go left, and then when you go left, it tells you to go right. Now you got to make a U-turn. Ever happened to anyone? Can I tell you why? Google's not God. Google makes mistakes. Apple is not God. They make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says this, God is light. In him is no darkness. Now, whether you think he is taking you the right direction or not, he is. 
Each step of the way, he's leading us to the destination. He's leading us closer and closer to look more and more like Jesus Christ. All of his direction is perfect. It's why Matthew, Jesus could confidently say in Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect because God is perfect and there's no darkness in him. Sad story. Do you remember when John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane went down flying over to Martha's Vineyard? I remember where I was. After they found the black box and began to discover what happened, they defined that his plane went down, killing all three on board, because of spatial disorientation. Let me explain. See, JFK Jr., he didn't have instrument rating. He didn't have instrument rating. He was flying under visual flight rules. Totally legal, but deadly. He was actually flying upside down, and no one realized it. And he flew right into the ocean. Spatial disorientation. You see, his direction starts with the humble assumption that you actually need instrument rating. You need the Bible. You need the instrument of the Word of God to fly in this life. We need to be guided by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. You could be flying upside down as a Christian and not even realize it because you're one of those ones who don't need the Word. I got the Spirit. You don't realize how wrong you could be. When tourists come to the Bahamas, they rent a car. There's a sticker on the center of the, dash, of the windshield, right in the center of the windshield. Drive on the left side. Because everyone that comes to the Bahamas from the United States, they will initially drive on the right side because that's what they're used to. But in the Bahamas, that's the wrong way. It's the wrong way. Now, I love Americans. They come over and they go, why do you guys drive on the wrong side of the road? What makes our side wrong? What makes your side so right? But there's a sticker of the word, and the word is on the windshield to constantly remind you, stay on the left so that you can stay alive. You can ignore it. I'm not going to do it. It's not what I'm from. It's not what I'm used to. I'm from the United States of America, and I get to do whatever I want because I'm an American. (laughs) Did you hear it? Can. I can do whatever I want. American. (laughs) I'm an American too, so I can make fun of us, okay? (laughs) But what's going to happen? You can ignore the word. You can think it's not for you. It's going to lead to a deadly intersection. And the problem with it is, you're not only going to die, you're going to take out some wonderful Bahamians as well. You see, when we're not flying with the word, and we're not using our instrument, it's going to lead to destruction. Now, here's what I love about God. Do you know how in Google, it'll say, take this exit. And I don't know what voice you have. I've got a British guy, okay? This is your exit. Like, and I just love, to me, British people sound like God. So I just, I feel like God's talking to me. Thank you, God, for that little direction. So I've got this. Now, just imagine if I go, no, 
I'm not going in that way. I'm going to go another way because I feel I know the better way. What does he do? Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Do you know that God's a rerouter? That even when we don't go his way, he will reroute us with his word. Now, sometimes he uses discipline. Sometimes he can use heartache and pain because God will do anything to get your attention. He will do anything to take you to the place of holiness. That's his goal for us. But what I love about God's word, the Bible says in Jude 24, he who is able to keep you from stumbling. His word can actually keep you. All you have to do is follow directions. This is the exit? Great. I'm going to take this exit and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to follow the direction of God so that you don't have to be reroute me. But if I do go astray, I love that he leaves the 99 sheep to go get the one and say, you need some rerouting. Come on back. It's just what God does, church. This is why learning the word is so important. There is darkness all around us. We don't have to look for it. It's every time you turn on the TV. It's every time you open a magazine. It's every time you go on the internet. There's some kind of advertisement where the enemy is like, I want to just take a little bite. And the word of God is what's going to shine a light in the midst of that darkness. We need to be led every day by the light of the word so that we don't get lost in the midst of so much darkness. Finally, take a look. John 1, chapter, verse 14. He reveals something else about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, to be John. I got to watch the glory. I got to watch the way, the truth, and the life. He was made flesh. And let me give you the truth about his word. His word provides the practicality of the abundant life in Christ, the glorious life that's found in Christ. You see, God had given the written word to the Jews. If they messed up, they had a sacrificial system to get right with God. In fact, the law was given to show them that they were in need of a Savior, and he gave them sheep so that they would sacrifice, so that they would recognize that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But at that time, their only role model was Moses. At best, Moses had an anger problem. At best. Do you remember when he got mad at the uh, uh, Jews because they were complaining about water? He walked up to the rock and God said, speak to it. And what did he do? He beat it. Have you ever had a bat in your hand and beat a rock? you get hurt. Have you ever been so mad you put your fist? Don't agree. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever been so mad you put your fist through the wall? You end up with the broken hand. Imagine when he took this bat and he hit the rock how he must have felt. The Jews didn't have an example. They didn't have someone to go, you're living the life. They didn't have someone to follow. The Bible says, And we beheld his glory. John did. John got to watch the God-man 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. All the fullness of the Godhead existed in Jesus. And this Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And his life displays for us the manner by which we're to live our lives. He loved, he served, he gave, he challenged, he blessed. His way is humble. His manner is meek. His character was courageous. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says this about the knowledge of this incredible life of Christ. Listen, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By knowing Jesus, we have got everything that we need to live the life that honors God. In fact, the more we learn about him, the more we can become like him. But he didn't just live a life. He died, and he rose again. And because of the power of the resurrection, he was able to give us the great promise of the Holy Spirit and now Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not only did he show us how to live, he gave us the power to be able to live. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's our last scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Take a look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus. In other words, I am so, God has showed me so much love in Jesus, I am compelled to be like this. If one died, we judge, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I'm not going to see Chet. I'm not going to see Pastor Zach. I'm not going to see Gannon. I'm not going to see, and you call your name. When I look at you, I'm not going to see you. He says, uh, I'm not going to regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we watched him live a perfect life. Yet now we know him thus no longer. He lives in the power of the Spirit. Therefore, he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. In other words, he's got the power of the Spirit too. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, all things have become new. Paul is making it very clear. Jesus went ahead of us. He lived a life in the flesh. Now he lives in the power of the Spirit as a model and a role model still continually. You can live the life that Jesus lived if you let him live it for you. Just let him live it for you. Let the flow of the Spirit Move through you. Keep the conduit. Don't quench the flow. Let him live it through you. See, he showed us how to live by dying, by living the perfect life. But he gave us the power to live the life through the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work in your life. So I'm going to close my sermon the way John closed the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. 
He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name. Now remember, when the Bible uses name, it refers to character and conduct, behavior. It describes them. It's not a title. And his name is called, say it with me, the Word of God. His name is the Word. It's not a title. It's an identity. Every bit of the Word describes who he is. It's why he came. It's how he lived. It describes what he did, where he was going, and when he was going to do what he was going to do. And when we learn the Word to know him and become like him, then we'll be able to express him to others. You see, learning the Word is like reading your own owner's manual. Learning the Word reveals our true identity. We've been saved. We've been born again. And now we're hidden with Christ, and our identity is Him. We get to discover who we actually are every time we dig into the Word of God. So when you read the story about Jesus, that he turned and he looked at a woman and he said, who touched me? You are learning who you are. You are compassionate because Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you read a story about Jesus and how he ministered to a young epileptic boy who was fitting on the, on, on the side of the street, and all the Pharisees were embarrassed to do anything, you learn a boldness and a courageous, because that's who you are. You are bold. You are courage. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you read a story about Jesus and how he looked at a centurion and marveled at his faith, because this centurion, and he said, go home, your servant is healed. Let me tell you something. We're called to speak life because Christ in us, the hope of glory. We learn the word. We learn our true selves. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, let this word speak to our hearts that when we dig into our Bible tonight, tomorrow morning, whatever it is, that we would learn who we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.